As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you bridge all the activities you have to do in your operations and how to focus on what matters? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listen to episode 5, season 3, we discussed RJ Taylor's journey being a second generation aquaculturist since he was nine and what their community is bringing to the family business as a sustainable partnership. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of the Business of Aquaculture. This episode, I have Deborah Helbach, who is the manager of the Center for Seafood Innovation. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. She loves helping people make and market good food by connecting them with expertise and resources. She identifies research, market development, and process optimization projects to enhance competitiveness. She has worked for private industry, federal and provincial governments, and as a business owner. Her secret powers are broad experience, amazing connections, and focusing on what matters. Welcome again, Deborah. Thank you, Lourdes. It's really nice to be here. And I, I have to thank you a lot for doing these podcasts. I'm relatively new in my role, and I've listened to most of them. And it's really helped me get briefed on the industry. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for following the podcast. I love hearing from people who follow the podcast. So thank you as well. So let's get it started. How did you get into the seafood industry? Well, it's a bit of a long story. I, I was actually thinking about how I would answer this. And I'll say that I, you know, I started eating processed food when I was less than one years old, right? Which most of us probably did. And I'm the first generation Canadian. I come from immigrants that worked very, very hard and they knew hunger and it rubbed off on me. And I decided when I was very young that I wanted to work in the food industry. And I did, you know, in a variety of roles when I was very young and I went to UBC and did my food science degree. And my very first co-op placement was with BC Packers. So some of your more mature listeners will remember BC Packers. At one time, it was the largest seafood manufacturer in the empire. And I was there at the heyday at the Imperial plant in Steveston. My responsibility there was actually to look at and understand how canned defects occurred. 
And actually, I could be wrong, but I believe that I was the person who started the CAN defect manual for the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. So that tells you how old I am. But I did experiments and caused CAN defects and then trained the staff on how to prevent them. And from BC Packers, I also was involved in quality assurance there, and we produced all kinds of value-added, ready-to-prepare at-home meals at BC Packers, which, as you know, most of that production is gone. We don't have that anymore. I was extremely fortunate. I, I went on to work for another very large company called Empress Foods, which was the supply division for Canada Safeway. And my boss was allergic to seafood. So at a very young age, I was responsible for all of the seafood that Empress Foods bought under white label, right? So it was all the house brand products. And I traveled across North America, you know, visiting processing plants and, and making sure that they were preparing their products to our specifications. And I was also really involved in several very large product recalls of Korean product due to can defects. From there, I was involved in industry development roles in the provincial government and regulatory roles in the federal government and always had my eye to seafood. And when this opportunity arrived, I, you know, it was something that I was very keen to follow up on. I love that you have on your profile that you have these superpowers and our listeners just actually hearing how you got started. That's a broad spectrum of your experience of what you bring to the table to the stakeholders that you work with. I love also that you had these amazing connections, I guess, from the experiences that you had. I like to call it sustainable partnerships. But maybe my next question is with all of these experiences and connections that you have, how do you bridge? I mentioned about activities in the operations of the company. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a tip on how you would tackle a specific issue or problem in an operation so that the business owner can focus on what matters. Sure. In my role at the Center of Seafood Innovation, we're part of the BC Food Hub Network, which is funded by the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries. And our mandate is to create new opportunities for BC seafood businesses while strengthening food security in British Columbia. So it's a very, very broad mandate. But to give you an example of how I can help a company, I guess we can say that the Center for Seafood Innovation is people heavy or brain, a brain trust in the sense that I have decades of experience in the food processing industry in British Columbia. So having that experience and the connections enable me to leverage existing resources and infrastructure and equipment because I don't have that myself. And I think that's very important for your listeners to know, like, you know, the Center for Seafood Innovation sounds really fancy, but what we're doing actually is leveraging existing resources in order to help companies. And I can give you some very practical examples. So if a company comes to me and they're looking at shelf life extension, so I've had some interest in shelf life extension of live shellfish. 
In order to make that happen, I partner and collaborate very closely with the innovation centers in the Atlantic provinces, where they are further ahead than we are in British Columbia in terms of providing supports to the industry. And so I'm able to find out what they've done there and then work with the local BC suppliers, like a packaging supplier, a gas supplier, and work with my culinary department at at Vancouver Island University and work with a microbiologist at Vancouver Island University and bring this team approach to solve the problem that the company has. And I, and I, that can be applied in many different ways. You know, if we're looking at new product development, I can put a team together as well as identify potential funding sources to help make that project move forward. Oh, I really love all those that you mentioned. I love the word leverage. And so you were you're talking about leveraging existing resources, infrastructure, and equipment. I think as a business owner, that's one thing that we need to do because we can also be, I guess, stuck in what I called ownership paradox, wherein we think we can do everything on our own and we forget that sometimes the resources are already there. It's just in another group or in another company. But if we can discuss collaboration, then we didn't have to start from scratch. So my next question is, so far, what's your biggest insight in the last, I don't know, two decades, three decades you've been in the industry that you've seen that can help them move to the next decade? <laughs> oh, that's a fascinating question. And, you know, I actually have an, a very quick answer on that. It's communications. So, I, you know, I started my career in science, you know, and I moved from science to business development. And everything that we communicated was based on facts and figures. If you, you've seen my LinkedIn profile and, and some of the articles that I've written, I, I'm a real champion of processed foods. Everything we eat is processed. I don't care what you say, right? I mean, maybe not our, our mother's milk, not, but I mean, even water, it's all processed, right? And there are such poor perceptions of the word processed and of the processing companies. I'm sure that you'll have listeners that follow Sylvain Charlebois, and he, you know, he says that the food processing industry is the forgotten child of the agriculture support system. And I say the the seafood processing industry is the long lost cousin. So there is very little support for these industries by the public and by the government. And I believe that that has to do with a lack of communications. And that we are trying to communicate our value as members of this industry with facts and figures. And we need to completely change how we communicate and and work more based on people's values and perceptions. And I actually did my master's degree in communications two years ago, and it's changed my life because of that. Because I I was trying to help companies make and market good food based on the food as opposed to based on what people are looking for and what their perceptions are. I love, 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 love what you just said, because communications has been really kind of, I guess, has a negative connotation, especially with technology nowadays. I am grateful that we have this podcast platform because we can reach more people globally. But also at the same time, when you mentioned 
it's not about facts and figures sometimes. It's the values that you bring in, the perceptions, because that emotional bonding can happen. In I remember a story where in two probably business owners at a head head to head, but they go to a walk in nature and just basically go for a walk. They didn't even have to talk about facts and figures. And at the end of that walk, they will come into some collaborative conclusion. So communication is very important. So what do you think you're seeing as a trend that's happening in the seafood industry? I'm not sure if I'll answer this correctly in terms of a trend. The Center for Seafood Innovation was established with the thought that we would help companies with culinary and food science and new product development. That was the idea behind it. And that's the the idea behind a lot of the food hubs. So there's 12 food hubs in the province and and it's, it's about adding value primarily to agriculture. And in our case, it was to seafood and aquaculture production. And since actually being in the chair and working in this position, I have learned that the labor crisis is so dire. The regulatory complexity is so debilitating. The lack of supply and the negative public perceptions are such huge, huge, huge issues that those have to be dealt with first before we can move on to this new product development, new, you know, new process, everything. And that's not to say that there aren't pockets, you know, I mean, there's in the seaweed area, you know, definitely there's opportunities for developing new products. And in the, you know, in the underutilized species, yes, there's areas there. But, you know, number one is how can we use innovation to address the labor issue? How can we be innovative in that space? And how can we be innovative in the regulatory space? And then I think we can look at other things. And what can we steal from other industries in terms of what they've done to overcome some of these issues? So I'm not answering your question exactly, but I'm not answering the trend, right? I mean, in terms of the trend with the pandemic, what we've definitely seen is we've seen a shift from restaurants and food service to home preparation, which is, I think, fabulous. And another thing, I don't know when this airs, but today we're dealing with the aftermath of these horrible floods and we're seeing hoarding and we're seeing supply chain interruptions and I want to be respectful of the farmers and everything else, but this is a huge opportunity for our industry to demonstrate the value of food, right? So, you know, we make food and you need food. And so you need to support us so that when things like this happen, there's food on the shelf. Absolutely. And I actually love that you mentioned this. I actually think that you did answer the question in terms of a trend because this trend of the labor crisis is actually global now after yeah. it happened after the pandemic. And obviously, the regulatory complexity has been there for quite some time. But if people watch the episodes on Game of Thrones, this is what they call winter is coming all the time. And so this winter is coming in terms of our labor issues and how we can join forces so that everybody can put their thinking hats on 
on how we're going to solve all these challenges because with climate change and everything, you just mentioned the flood that we just had here in British Columbia is now giving us an opportunity on how we can all step up so that we can solve these challenges at the time when it's crucial that we put our heads together. Yeah, good. So thank you so much, Deborah. My biggest takeaway from our time together today is when you were talking about the team approach. I love that being able to put together our heads and that we can find a solution for any challenges if we do the team approach. So how can they get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me at Deborah.Halbach, and that's H-E-L-L-B-A-C-H at V-I-U dot C-A. Thanks for being on the show. To our subscribers, we appreciate your time listening to the show. Remember, you build a home in the Philippines via B1G1.com for every episode. So share away. See you next week. Thanks again, Deborah. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Lourdes. It's really, really, really nice to do this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.